Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host Adrian Guest, along with co-host Devin Dito. We are continuing our HBCU Awareness Series in recognition of March's HBCU Awareness Month. Today's episode brings you Clark Atlanta University and their president, Dr. George French. So sit back and listen well as we talk to you about the state of HBCUs. Really, really excited to have Clark Atlanta and its president, Dr. George T. French Jr. on the show. Uh, some say he's the, he's the voice of HBCUs, so we are excited to see what he has to say about the state of HBCUs in 2021. And so just to give you a little bit of background about Dr. French, uh, in 2019, he was named uh, the, the fifth president of Clark Atlanta University, which is the largest um, United Negro College Fund member institution in the country and the largest private HBCU within the state of Georgia. And so prior to his appointment as president, Dr. French served for 14 years as the president of Miles College, which made him make him one of the longest serving university presidents in the nation. And he's a nationally recognized leader and influencer in higher education and educational policy. Uh, Dr. French has served uh, three secretaries of education, served under three secretaries of education, uh, under two United States president as a congressional appointee to the National Advisory Committee on institutional quality and integrity. Um, and just to give you a little bit, little bit about his educational background, um, Dr. French actually started off at the University of Louisville, then uh, went on to Miles Law School for his Juris Doctorate, and then finally made a stop at Jackson State University uh, for his PhD. And so um, under Dr. French's leadership, Clark Atlanta uh, University has exponentially exceeded all fundraising records in the history of the university. Uh, it's maintained stable enrollment in the midst of a global pandemic, which is no small feat. And he uh, has developed a corporate and community relationships to position the university uh, for unprecedented growth in the years to come. And, and lastly, just to cap off this, in this impressive resume, um, his awards, uh, Dr. French's awards include uh, the Birmingham Spotlight Man of the Year, uh, the, the NAACP Man of the Year Award, and the Higher Education Leadership Foundation Lifetime Achievement Award. So obviously a very impressive guest and very impressive president. And so we're excited to have you, Dr. French, and we thank you for, for coming on the show. And thank you so much, uh, Devin. It's so good to be with uh, you and Adrian and, and your listeners. Congratulations on this initiative uh, of informing the Black community. Uh, so I'm, I'm honored uh, and humbled to be with you today. Thank you. And, and we're honored to have you on the show. So just to kind of start, you know, our first segment, usually we talk about, you know, the value and the, and the importance of HBCUs. And so uh, to start, you know, we, we, in one of our previous conversations, we spoke with uh, Dr. William Harvey, who is the president um, at Hampton University. And he kind of explained to us that, you know, although the perception is that HBCUs only cater to like low income or first time college students, um, oftentimes they don't. They actually have, you know, very good masters and PhDs programs. And so people can look at HBCUs as a place where those seeking higher degrees, like yourself, you know, you went to Jackson State to get your PhD, you can do that and you can go on to be extremely successful. Um, you know, so for our first question, if you could just explain to our listeners, you know, as a, as a young and, you know, up and coming student, you know, what was your perception of HBCUs and why did you choose an HBCU uh, for your PhD? So, so um, I absolutely concur with President Harvey. Um, sometimes institutions can get uh, caught with a certain narrative, and the narrative doesn't necessarily evolve nor change. 
but um, being in higher education for a quarter of a century myself, coming into higher education, the narrative was we cater to first generation African-Americans. And so Dr. Harvey is eminently correct. We can't, we have to change that narrative at some point when 25, 50 years go by, that's not going to be the first generation that we're catering to. It's, it's just empirically impossible. So yes, we do cater to first generation, but not only first generation. And HBCUs, we are the uh, producers. We actually create and produce what is the Black middle class for America. That, that's that's what we do. And institutions like Clark Atlanta University, who is a Carnegie uh, Research II institution, we offer the bachelor's, as you noted, master's, and all the way through PhD. So we don't only offer individuals who are leaving home for the first time an opportunity, but we offer individuals who are going into careers uh, an opportunity. We offer individuals who are already in careers going back to school opportunities. So it's not just about the uh, 18-year-olds, the 19-year-olds that are fresh out of high school. Sometimes it's the 40 and 50-year-olds that are working for IBM that want to continue their education at an institution like Clark Atlanta University and so many of our HBCUs. One of the things that we have to dispel is that uh, this thought that HBCUs are monolithic in character. Um, So individuals expect to go to Clark Atlanta University and see the same thing that they see when they go to Tougaloo. And you're going to see two totally different missions, oftentimes a mission in Mississippi at Tougaloo that is a teacher institution uh, that is training teachers, which is a very important mission, but then to come to a research institution like Clark Atlanta University, where we are solving the issues of prostate cancer research today. So we're not monolithic in character. So it's kind of hard to describe, difficult to describe HBCUs overall, because we wind up, again, um, uh, uh, giving the impression that we are monolithic in character when we are not at all. So for me, Going to the University of Louisville, uh, of course, PWI. I went to uh, private schools all my life, all all white schools all my life. I went on from the University of Louisville, actually, to do my first two years of law school at the University of Richmond, which is a PWI. And then I was called in ministry to uh, to, to 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 move um, to Alabama. And that's when I engaged Miles Law School to finish my last two semesters. But the predominant uh, educational experience was with PWIs. And I just wanted the opportunity to really engage the HBCU community. So that's how I found myself at Jackson State University for the PhD. Oh, that That's really, really exciting. Um, that's the kind of stuff that we've been getting uh, from our HBCU leaders um, is that, you know, we've got to be able to have HBCU in our, in our, in our uh, history and in our bloodline more often so that we can have that heritage and have that legacy passed down from generation to generation. And, and, and you know, that's why, uh, uh, Dr. French, that's why Devin and I wanted to have this series to really highlight the wonderful institutions, you know, that we call HBCUs. Um, each college, you know, has a special place within its own community and a special place in the greater fabric of the African-American influence on American society. Um, a lot of people might be out there wondering, though, uh, what it means to be a part of an institution that embodies so much history and tradition. Uh, so, Dr. French, our second question in this segment 
when, when you think back on the preservation and the perseverance of the leaders before you uh, that passed through the baton, um, what growth have you seen Clark Atlanta University bring to Atlanta and to the African-American community? So ex- excellent question. So it gives me uh, almost goosebumps when I walk on the campus of Clark Atlanta University and I walk past where W.E.B. Du Bois' office was. Mm-hmm. And I realized that he did the majority. He self uh, admits he did the majority of his scholarly work in Atlanta. Yes, he did the work in Philadelphia, studying the demographics and the social um, interests of African-Americans mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. But he, he did the same thing right here in Atlanta. That's where he did the majority of his work. When I walk across that campus and I see the, the murals of Hale Woodruff and the fact that he began the art department at Atlanta University. When I walk across that campus and I wonder, are these the same sidewalks? Uh, They are the same sidewalks, and I celebrate that they're the same sidewalks that James Weldon Johnson walked when he was a a student at Atlanta University. So historically, we made such gains. But it's not just about historical perspective. The question today in 2021 is what is the relevance of HBCUs? So, yes, we can study Du Bois, and we can talk about Johnson, we can talk about Hale Woodruff, but we also, as I noted a moment ago, we have to study, focus on cancer research. We have the largest prostate cancer, academic prostate cancer research center in the nation. We're trying to solve a problem that disproportionately affects Black men, African-American men, affects all men, but African-Americans disproportionately. So I don't want to just talk about Plato and Aristotle and Aristophanes and Euripides, but I also want to talk about the man who's in the hospital at Grady right now suffering from prostate cancer. And I want to come up with the cure. So the evolution that we've seen is that we are dealing with the substantive issues of the day. There's a technology gap. We know there's a digital divide within our community. So what do we do? Clark Atlanta University, we partner with Apple Computer. The AUC, we partner with IBM and Microsoft. And we are bringing the latest technological advances to the AUC so that we can bridge this digital divide and meet the needs of our citizenry. That's that's exciting, honestly, hearing you say that. And it's, it's inspiring, too, to, to hear how you all are focused on being on the cutting edge of, you know, health care when, you, when you're talking about prostate cancer and also trying to combat issues like the digital digital divide, which is very real um, and within, within our community. And so um, that's awesome to hear. And that's one thing that people you know, just don't know, you know, folks just don't know that HBCUs really are honestly more involved in our communities than, than PWIs. You know, we heard, we saw that like Howard was giving out vaccines, FAMU was, you know, helping to do tests and things like that. So it's like, not only are you an institution within the city, but you're active within the community to try to fix some of the, the, the chronic problems that we've always had. And so I really, really like to hear that, you know, what you all are doing down at Clark Atlanta. And so we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, um, we're going to talk about a little bit about the societal perception, you know, of HBCUs. We know that we need the story told more about what you all are doing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so um, stick with us. We're going to take our first break and we'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter 
at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. So we are continuing our conversation with Dr. George French, who is the president of Clark Atlanta University. And so uh, in the first segment, we kind of talked about the the history and the value of HBCUs. And so we now want to shift a little bit um, to looking at the societal perception um, of HBCUs. And so you kind of touched on a little bit some of the things that Clark Atlanta is doing, whether, you know, within the, the prostate cancer research and also um, combating the, the, the digital divide in our community. But we know that you've done these things despite enormous challenges uh, related to whether it's funding or just, you know, bias in the media when trying to tell the positive stories um, of HBCUs. And so we just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us some of the other things that Clark Atlanta has been able to accomplish despite these challenges. And then also, how are you using these accomplishments to help change that narrative um, that HBCUs are, are a less than? So so we, we, we continue, to, of course, to work like you said, with healthcare uh, on our prostate cancer research center, but we're also a re- recently designated a vaccine center um, for uh, the uh, COVID-19 vaccine. So we're working very closely with the AUC, working very closely with Morehouse College, who's also uh, Morehouse School of Medicine, which is also a designated uh, vaccine center. Work very closely with the CDC and other health organizations to dispel some of the misinformation that's been put out there, uh, because what people don't, you know, we have short memories sometimes. And when we look at the prevalence of COVID within our community today, we really have to go back to when the outbreak first began. And we had misinformation. We had information that African-Americans could not catch COVID. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in in, in my life. And we knew it was wrong, but the, the rumors was out out there and it spread very quickly that African-Americans couldn't catch it. So we have an obligation of as educators to educate not just individuals who come and register for our classes, but to educate our community. And that's what we do do at Clark Atlanta University, even as we deal with gentrification. We're Clark Atlanta University with the largest landowner in West um, in uh, the of the city of Atlanta. We have a huge real estate portfolio, but we're making sure that we understand gentrification, what gentrification means, and making sure that we protect the rights of our community residents. Those who want to remain in those communities, we make sure that we educate them and that we protect their rights. HBCUs, we have, um, like you said, there are notions to be dispelled, just like there are notions of the, the continent of Africa. We are the diaspora. And as it was noted uh, by a, a, a recent scholar that whom, with whom I was speaking by the name of Adrian Guest, um, there are actually people who think that Africa is a third world country and it's undeveloped and it's the jungle. But I tell you, when you stand on, on the, the, the coast of Cape Town and you're on on these beautiful beaches and you see homes uh, five and six times larger than what what you see in the United States. And you see these magnificent um, palaces in Africa and you see these developed countries. You understand very quickly that that's not an underdeveloped continent, even though uh, our top executive leader has called some of our uh, countries there in Africa, the most, the worst names, which I would never even repeat, but we know that not to be the case. At the same time, that same president said, that's where all of my friends go to get rich. Now, that's interesting. 
Because today we still, although Africa has been stripped and raped for centuries, we still have the large, the, the, the largest concentration of natural resources on the continent. And there's still a lot of money to be made. And that's why the black leadership in Africa is reaching out to the diaspora, including those of African-American descent, to say, even if you have $1,000, we're building dams, we're building roads that you can invest in, and you can, re- you, can, you can realize a huge return on your investment if you invest in Africa. So we, at Clark Atlanta University, we have partnerships with the University of Johannesburg. We met last week with the University of Liberia. We're reaching out to the continent because that's where, as the United States population continues to shrink and the population from which we can recruit continues to shrink, we realize that it's growing in Africa. And by 2050, we'll have the largest concentration of youth in the world on the continent of Africa. So, yes, I'm going to recruit from Chicago and Detroit and Baltimore. I'm also going to recruit from Johannesburg, from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, from Rwanda, uh, from uh, the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. That's where we're also going to continue to uh, recruit. See, that, that that's just perfect there. It, it's just showing that, you know, despite what society tries to put on HBCUs and really put to downplay the African-American uh, community as a whole, you know, you all are working tirelessly to show that HBCUs are, are top institutions in the world, not just in America, but in the world, as you're talking right. about. You know, with that being said, you and other HBC leaders, I mean, y'all are really planning ahead. I mean, to strengthen the universities, as we've spoken to a lot of the leaders, they talk about these strategic plans. And, you know, Clark Atlanta University is no different. We know that you all have that strategic plan. And that's important because you, you all are going to have to be there because as Dr. Robinson of FAMU said, you know, there's going to be a class of 2050 who's going to need a Clark Atlanta uh, in, yeah. in the uh, city of Atlanta to go to. So our second question to you, Dr. French, you know, how does Clark Atlanta develop a strategic plan? And more importantly, why is it uh, so important for individuals and organizations within our community as a whole to really start to develop these sorts of plans for sustainability and generational mobility within our community? Excellent, excellent question. And and because the focus has to be not on the jobs that exist currently. The focus has to be on the jobs that don't exist right now. The percentages are unbelievable of the numbers of jobs that will be available in this market in 2050 that don't currently currently exist. So we have to be anticipatory in our thought process, knowing <clears throat> that that um, technology is evolving on such a at such a rapid pace. That's why we have the partnership with Apple. That's why we partner again with with Microsoft and IBM, and not just the the, the huge companies. We also partner with the small startup companies. The small startup companies are just as important. That's why right now the city of Atlanta is the epicenter. We have become the epicenter for technology, the epicenter for fintech, financial technology. And, and, and we become the epicenter even for the movie making industry. We are the new Hollywood. There are more movies made now in Georgia every year than in Hollywood. Um, the technology hubs, that's why Apple is, is and Microsoft are 
are moving to Atlanta with such a huge presence because they understand. One thing they understand, Atlanta is the epicenter also for African-American intellectual thought. We are the epicenter for African-American economic development. And what they realize is that I'm fortunate enough in, in watching and observing our economy for the last 25 years and not just observing, but researching it. I I was fortunate enough, um, Adrian, to see when diversity, equity, and inclusion was a moral imperative. It was the right thing to do. But it's not just the moral imperative anymore. These large companies are seeing the creativity that comes to the table when you diversify and it's increasing their bottom line. So it's not just the moral imperative and the right thing to do anymore to bring African-Americans and other minorities, but it brings a fresh thought into the boardroom, a fresh thought which spurs innovation and creativity, and it increases the bottom line for those companies. So again, not just a moral imperative anymore, but it's a bottom line imperative to bring these brilliant minds into the boardroom. I would note, I'm not new to the AUC, although I just became president in September of 19. My daughter graduated from Spelman this year. My son graduated from Morehouse last year. So I've been intimately involved with the AUC and being involved that intimately, you see these brilliant minds. Guys, Devin, it's nothing like walking the promenade of Clark Atlanta University, because you don't just interact with Clark Atlanta University students there. You interact with Spelman and Morehouse and Morehouse School of Medicine and the creme de la creme of the African community walking up and down that promenade. And when you, when I ask them, scholar, how are you doing today? The greatest joy I get is when they stop and tell me how they're doing and they have some magnificent stories to tell. And like you said earlier, Devin, they're not all first generation anymore. Some of the, these people have mothers and fathers who are scholars and uh, surgeons and, and neuro, uh, uh, neuroscientists and, and coming from everywhere. So to have this conversation with students of the diaspora on a regular and daily basis is nothing more exciting for me uh, than doing that. And, and that message is, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. I, that just got me excited. And that, that's why that's why we wanted to highlight, you know, our HBCUs because it's, there, there's so much on, you know, each campus. I mean, you know, Devin and I, we went to Mississippi State. And, you know, I'll admit, I don't, when I was on State's campus or when I went transferred to University of Memphis, I didn't feel that, that sense when, when I was walking, you know, on the fields or walking, you know, throughout the hallways. You, you don't feel that that reverence that that, you know, every leader that we've spoken to it talks about on their institution where, it, you know, everybody just becomes a part of the institution rather than just be you know, a student there. So I just wanted to say that, Devin, because it's just really, really exciting to hear. It is exciting to to feel. I, I'm going to invite uh, both of you to to our beautiful campus. And, and, and when you get that feel. Even Martin Luther King, I mean, that's the same. He walked the same campus. I mean, the feel there, the spirit, the energy. And you're talking about some focused young people. Oh, my God. Now, I wasn't as focused when I was in college. I'm going to tell you, I, I wasn't as focused as, as that, those young people that I'm serving now. I wish I had been. But, uh, but they are focused and they are serious. 
No, and that's the difference. You know, that's the difference between going, you know, like kind of like Adrian was saying, going to PWI and going to an HBC. You know, I didn't remember anybody ever greeting me and saying scholar, you know, even just little things like that, creating that expectation that you are here to be the best and brightest, you know, and go off into your career and achieve, you know, great things because you are at, at a Clark Atlanta University or Spelman or Morehouse. And so Devin, you, um, missed, we, we, you didn't miss that. You did, you did not. You did not miss it. I said it one time. You didn't miss it. I tell you, when I hit those campuses and I say scholar at the beginning of the year, sometimes they kind of look around. I'm like, I'm talking <laughs> to you. I'm like, yes, you're a scholar. And that's the expectation. And I tell you. And then the second time you see the student they, they're looking. They're like, is that the president coming? I'm going to see if you going to call me scholar again. To get ready. <laughs> they're ready. They're ready. Okay. They're like, your service president. It, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> that's, and that's right. Y'all are preparing global visionary leaders. That's what every HBCU leader is talking about, preparing the next generation to, to think beyond just, you know, right now and today and what's in front of you and how you can transform the community as a whole. So that, that's a beautiful message. Thank you. Well, what we'll do here, we're going to take our next break uh, and right. when we come back, we'll get into our third segment. Where we want to talk a little bit about uh, funding and diversity of HBCUs because that's always a hot topic there. So viewers, enjoy your break and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, viewers, welcome back. Uh, We're getting into our third segment here. Remember, today we're joined by Dr. George T. French, Jr., who's the president of Clark Atlanta University. Uh, So, Dr. French, we wanted to talk a little bit about funding. Uh, We know that, you know, funding is generally a tough area for any organization, especially a private institution. But, you know, one of the things that we've heard from a lot of our HBCU leaders is that because of the civil unrest of 2020, Funding has actually seen some increases. Uh, Many people have almost started to give as a way to protest and stand up towards inequality. We know how important funding is for HBCUs, especially when you consider the fact that you all are really good about keeping uh, tuition costs lower and not passing on rising administrative costs to the students. So our question, Dr. French, how does the fight for civil rights impact funding for HBCUs? And more importantly, when will we get to a point where we will actually properly fund our HBCUs without the need for such violence and civil unrest? Excellent question. Um, and, and, and you're eminently correct in your observation that there has been an uptick in personal giving since the social unrest as a response to the social unrest. And we're grateful for that. And we're grateful for uh, Clark Atlanta University is grateful for for Mackenzie Scott, giving us uh, recently an unrestricted $15 million gift. And we've got several other overtures that we are negotiating now and funds that have come in, not just to Clark Atlanta, of course, to Howard, to Spelman, uh, to Morehouse, to some of the smaller uh, HBCUs like the Tougaloo and Oakwood and Philander Smith. So we're proud. And, and I'm really happy that these funders didn't just focus like they do sometimes only on Clark and Spelman and Morehouse and Howard, but they're expanding 
their reach because they understand that we all have our sense of mission. So yes, we need additional funding. We need sustained funding. So when these huge gifts come in, they're great, but we need sustained giving from our alumni and from our community. So if it's 15 million or $15, if we receive funding on a regular basis, it's going to strengthen our institution. I was recruited to Clark Atlanta University because of my fundraising experience. And one of the things that um, Clark Atlanta University, the search committee, they told me when I agreed to speak with them is that I would need to engage a $100 million capital campaign. I was I was excited about it until I actually reached campus and I saw that our needs were so much greater than $100 million. So at my last board of trustee meeting, um, I went to the board and I told them I had structured and planned a $100 million capital campaign, but it's not going to be enough. We need a campaign with a B in front of it. So that's why we are doing a quarter billion dollars instead of $100 million capital campaign. We're currently in the silent phase uh, before the public phase, but it's okay for us to talk about it here because we've already uh, let everyone know we're in the silent phase and we're doing quite well. I feel like we're going to reach this two, um, $250 million probably ahead of schedule because of the excitement of, of alums like uh, Jolene Butts Freeman, who was our first female drum major at Clark Atlanta University, but she's gone out into the world and alums like her, they go out into the world and they get these world experiences and career experiences, and then they come back home. And that's what we have to do. We have to come back home and give to our HBCUs. And when when alums like Jolene do that, it strengthens us. They get the education from the HBCUs, but they get the real world experience in corporate America. But then come back home and share that <clears throat> with your HBCUs. That's what the funders, what I'm seeing, the funders are most impressed with those alums that go out into the world, do well, but then come and give back to their institutions. And a lot of these funders are asking the question, well, why should we give if alums are not giving back to their own institutions? Why should we give uh, if you're not taking care of your own? And they're eminently correct. And that's why even at Clark Atlanta University, we are increasing our alumni giving because federal grants are great. uh, Philanthropy is great. But at the end, the sustainability is going to come from those small gifts that come every single month, year after year after year. That's pretty much where we are. And finally, Adrian, uh, I I like the fact that you all are focusing very specifically on particular conversations within these segments. And it's very important that we focus on the financial viability, because what we have to see now is also a diversification of our sources of revenue. We're not going to be able to sustain only with tuition into the future like we need to. We need to get into other sources of revenue, such as um, we're looking right now, like I said, we, we're, talk, we're talking about the Cancer uh, Research Center that deals with prostate cancer. But now we're going into therapeutic development, which says that we're going to the pharmaceutical companies now for patents on the drugs that we are developing to fight prostate cancer. So those revenue streams, once we partner with the pharmaceuticals and they fund research and development, for these uh, drugs that will help these medicines, uh, then that's 
those are going to be long-term sources of revenue. And that way we can continue, like you said, to keep our 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 uh, tuition as low as we possibly can, which is, is always a challenge. You bring in the world's best faculty. You, you, you have to pay those faculty because you're competing <laughs> with them with corporate America. Corporate America is pulling them on this side. And I'm like, hell no, come back over to, <laughs> to you. But I got to be able to pay them at the same time. <laughs> yes. You you talked about a lot. And I don't mean to cut you off, Devin, but I just wanted to talk about the fact that when you said, you know, come back home, because it's just so interesting that Devin, before you got on, we were having a conversation about how we've kind of progressed as, as individuals, young adults, and how it's a need for us because we're from Mississippi and Mississippi is very underdeveloped and antiquated and how there's been a need for people like us to go back home and give to the community. So it's really nice that you're talking about, you know, anyone within the African-American community coming back home, whether it's your local community or just the HBCU community and the African-American diaspora. Uh, that's just really, really great. My bad, Devin. Like I said, Dr. French has got me excited over here. <laughs> no, he, he the, the feeling is mutual on this side. And so um, and, and I just wanted to, you know, for our next question, we're, we'll talk a little bit about diversity. You mentioned, you know, diversification when it comes to sources of funding, not relying so much on um, tuition. But we, we do know, you know, here in 2021, you know, our, me and Adrian are examples that uh, many African-Americans are, you know, looking at and, and attending PWIs. And so we, we've talked to past presidents during our conversations about um, the fact fact that HBCUs are kind of competing in a different environment now where, you know, yes, their main focus, of course, is teaching and educating um, African-American students. But we now know that they are attending other schools. It doesn't mean that they won't attend HBCUs, but it's just the reality that we are seeing more attend other schools. And so, you know, I think we talked with FAMU and they were, you know, kind of reorienting their message to where, you know, they're saying, look, yes, we, you know, can educate black students, but we can also educate students of all races, um, internationally, domestic, it doesn't matter. You can get a great education here, no matter, you know, what race or community that you come from. And so, um, you know, we wanted to ask you as far as, you know, as, as far as Clark Atlanta is concerned, I know you mentioned recruiting, you know, from, from, from the continent of Africa, where, whether it's the University of Liberia, the Congo, um, or Rwanda. So we know you have an international focus, but I guess domestically, have you had to tweak the message a little bit to say that we, you know, yes, we educate black students, but we can educate anybody, you know, here at Clark Atlanta. Yes. And, and, and I've done that not only at Clark Atlanta, Devin, I did it when I was president of, of Miles College. I had an intentional focus on um, recruiting Latinos. And I was actually on World News Tonight and I sent the message out far and wide. Believe it or not, I had a group of alums that were upset with me. They sat with me and they told me that if I don't stop recruiting uh, Latinos, then they were going to stop giving to the institution. And I said to them, do you realize that's the same stuff that uh, we used to deal with in Jim Crow era? Okay, that if you don't stop recruiting those Negroes at the time, then we're going to stop giving. I said, I'm going to be the last person to stop. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ramp up my efforts since you just threatened me. And since you just threatened me, I'm going, I'll go back on World News tonight and tell that community that I was threatened. And I, I guarantee you that when that happens, the Latino uh, rate is going to shoot up exponentially. 
And it actually did. I didn't have to go back on uh, the news because I told them I'm not taking them up. I'm going to continue my diversification efforts. So we have to diversify. And, and, and Devin, we also have to diversify in, in thought. So I'm unapologetic <clears throat> for attending the PWI, the University of Louisville, because there are best practices that we have to bring into the HBCU community. Some have this thought, the school of thought, that if you didn't graduate from an HBCU, you can't leave an HBCU, you don't know the HBCU way. Well, sometimes maybe you don't need to know the HBCU way. Okay, Harvard University was founded uh, September the 8th, 1636. I I did some studies at Harvard, and they reminded me that in 1636, they were founded 140 years before the signing of the of the uh, uh, Declaration of Independence. What? That's how long they've been here. So if Harvard has been doing well since 1636, why wouldn't I ask Harvard, what are some of your best accounting? What are some of your best business practices? It doesn't have to be that we just have this HBCU way. No, we have to have accountability, profitability standards, and certain certain metrics that are based on best practices and best practices are not always found at HBCUs, but you go to some places that have the largest endowment of any school in the United States. I want to talk to you about some of your investment practices. What does your portfolio look like? What is your investment policy? That's who I need to talk to. Yeah. I need to talk to my people um, at other HBCUs, but also some some individuals at PWIs who realize huge successes. Just makes sense. It does. It, it, may, it makes perfect sense. And when you lay it out there like that, you honestly, you can't really argue with that, that line of thinking. Um, you know, there, like you said, there's more than one way. Some people say there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to run a college. And so right. Um, right. And we have to be open, you know, to, to new ways of thinking. And I appreciate you saying like, you don't have to be, um, you know, apologizing for attending a, a PWI. And so, cause we've, we've run into that conversation too. People will say like, you know, you're not really uh, black or you're not, you know, you didn't get the true experience cause you didn't go to an HBCU. And, and right. at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is whether or not you're successful in your career and you got a, you know, a proper um, higher education and whether you use those skills to give back um, to your community. And so, yes, and what we did. Agent go to Mississippi. What are you an agent doing? What are you an agent doing? I have to go into Mississippi. Okay to school there at Mississippi State, right? Mm -hmm. What are you all doing on this Sunday morning? You are engaging the HBCU community. You're helping us exponentially. You're shining the light on HBCUs, but you didn't even attend an HBCU. But that's what it's all about. It's all about going back to Egypt. Okay, that's what it's really all about, going back to Egypt to say, well, you know, uh, I came back home. And sometimes when you go back home, You're not always well received, but you should be, because when you go back to Egypt and you decide I'm going to help, then you should be openly embraced. And I'm going to tell you, I embrace both you, uh, Devin, and you, Adrian, and I'm going to have you all on our podcast. We have a podcast called The Innovators uh, with Richard Levitt, um, and it's hugely successful right now. I'm going to bring you back uh, to to this HBCU, and I want you to share some of your experiences and how you have the foresight and enough sense to say, okay, I didn't graduate from from an HBCU, but I'm going to help my people and help HBCU. So I say thank you all. 
Yes, that that's it there. That I'm telling you, Dr. French, that that that's why we're doing this. That's why we're putting this on. We uh Deb and I both, you know, this is just a podcast, but this this is a, a precursor to a bigger organization, a bigger movement that Dev and I uh, hope to lead and, and champion. So, yeah, we, we really look uh, forward to that opportunity and look forward to continuing to partner with other HBCUs and Clark Atlanta. So we're going to take our, our last break and, you know, we've got to hey, come. Adrian, before, go ahead. You, before you leave, I would remind you, who do I brag about? I say W.E.B. William Edward Burkhart the Boyd. Yes, he did his work at Atlanta University, but he was the first African-American to get the, the P.A. D from Harvard. Okay. He came from Harvard and then went to Harvard and then came back home. That's what you all are doing, brother. Thank you. That's good. And, and that just shows that does not have to be a competition. Uh, I feel here in America, we we almost play into the narrative that has always got to be a black, white thing or PWI versus HBCU. But like you said, we you can learn and you can collaborate and you can you know build coalitions. So that is the message that we've got to take. And that's going to set us up uh, for what we're going to have with your final message. So uh, viewers, stick with us. Uh, remember, we're talking uh, to Dr. French, having a great conversation. So the know the final message is going to be just as awesome. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. viewers welcome back uh we're getting into our final message here remember we're joined by dr french t excuse me by dr george t french jr president of clark atlanta university uh dr french as always we like to you know do a final message just as a way to send off our episode in a great big old bow to our viewers and listeners and to kind of set the stage here it is you know our people have always been in a catch-up mode whether it's healthcare, education or jobs uh we've been behind when you look at white america Um, The impact of 2020 crippled many of these systems, further widening that gap between us and white America. But what that shows us is there's a need for bonds within our communities to come together and root out this injustice that has stifled our people. You know, Clark Atlanta is a part of a larger group of network colleges and institutions that is using its collective abilities to bring transformative leadership to the great Atlanta community. One of the things that Devin and I have discussed on our show on multiple occasions is the fact that people within our community often do not come together and will not come together to bring about that change. So Dr. French has a way to leave us with a final message that speaks to why our community must build better coalitions like you and the other presidents on your team with ACU that's going to uplift each individual within our community while also propelling our legacy towards some forward progression. So I think you hit it on the head. Um, uh, I think you really summarized where we are and what we need to do. We need to understand that we operate for competitive advantage as HBCUs, as a business model. But it's been my observation after a quarter century in this business is operating for competitive advantage for one slice of the pie is not significant. 
we need to come together as HBCUs and as PWIs, collaborate, realize what our strengths are, and bring the whole pie home. That's what I've attempted to do with the CARES Act, with the Stimulus Act, with the $1.9 trillion bill that was recently passed by the House and the Senate and that we're going to the president. This is going to help all, all institutions of higher education. Um, I had the opportunity, Adrian, to be appointed by Secretary of Education to be one of two um, negotiators on the Parent PLUS debacle some years ago, and that was under the Obama administration. But under that uh, debacle, we had millions of individuals who were at higher education institutions in the fall that couldn't return for the spring. I mean, millions. And we only had 350,000 people in HBCUs aggregate. So it wasn't HBCU issue. But I went to Washington and I negotiated and I was able to get that uh, Parent Plus turned around. And that helped all institutions, PWIs, HBCUs. That type of collaborative spirit is what we need right now. It's, It's not really competing against one another but it's really coming to the table to assess what the needs of our communities are. What are the needs? And, 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 and Adrian and Devin, if we were able to pull together 101 uh, HBCU presidents and they told us what the needs of their communities are, as I said earlier, it's not monolithic. The needs of a small school like Tougaloo in Mississippi are not the same as the needs of the West End community of Atlanta, where you have Mercedes-Benz moving in, where you have all these major corporations coming here. That's not what's going on around Tougaloo, but they have their issues. And Tougaloo needs to sit with the community, as they do, I'm sure, because I have great respect for that institution, but sit with that community and ask what those needs are, assess what those needs are, and provide solutions for those communities. It's time for us to come from behind the ivory walls and deal with our people, deal with our communities, their issues, and speak sometimes for people who may not be able to speak for themselves. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, It's going to be a new day. Um, We are a uh, political, we don't participate in lobbying. So I- I'm grateful uh, for what all past administrations have done uh, for HBCUs, including the Trump administration. And that's very unpopular to say, but as young people say also, I ain't scared. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> um, they, 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 they had some great strides for us. And I'm proud that Biden and Harris are committed to doing even more And I'm looking forward to working with them as they do more to move uh, us forward as a higher and higher education uh, community. Uh, That's where we are. Um, The final thing I would point out is that uh, my good friend, president of Howard University, uh, Wayne uh, I. Frederick, he had a great friend that he lost, uh, of course, most recently being in, in Vernon, Jordan. And Vernon Jordan was uh, a champion of higher education, a champion of HBCUs. And he was one of those leaders that 
he's on the search committee, if he's heading the search committee to bring in a president, then he 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 supports that president. And this is an issue that we we didn't touch on on, but the importance of boards supporting the, the presidents at HBCUs is huge and significant. And I would say to you unequivocally. At Clark Atlanta University, I have a chair, uh, Gregory Morrison, that is the epitome of how that's done, the epitome of separating policy versus day-to-day operations and making sure to understand that line of demarcation. And a lot of our HBCUs were falling into struggles as the president struggles with the board because they don't quite have a clear understanding of their roles. But at eight, at CAU, we have a clear understanding. But at more HBCUs, we need clearer understandings of those lines of demarcation so that these institutions may work together and move forward. I mentioned Wayne. I mentioned uh, Howard University, because when you look at what that chair did, what Vernon Jordan did when all hell was breaking loose with Howard and people were not supporting Howard and people were trying to, to hurt that president. Vernon Jordan stepped in and said, no, that's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, what we're going to do is we're going to extend his contract. And if you notice, after that happened, Howard has been sailing sailing more smoothly than we could have imagined. But that board and that chair took a strong stance and and made an example of how an HBCU should be. And and finally, Adrian and, and Devin, I say thank you, brothers, for your efforts. Thank you for your vision. Thank you for coming back home. Okay. When Moses went back home to say, let my people go, he had been gone from Egypt, but he came back home. He went and got his education somewhere else, but he came back home. And that's what I see Devin and Adrian doing after being in Mississippi, coming back home to the HBCU community to say, let us help you. And I hope that you all will continue to help us. And Clark Atlanta University, we'll welcome, we will support you guys when you all are running for, for, for mayorships, for governorships, for presidencies of the United States. Guess what? Clark Atlanta University will say, that's right. We, we remember when they were reaching back to help us. So now we're going to help them. So thank you, brothers, for this opportunity. I like that. That that that's it, viewers. That, all in a nutshell. That that's why you know we have you know dynamic leaders like you on our show to paint such a great picture and a great message uh, for the American society that HBCUs and what we promote can go to toe to toe with any institution. Uh, HBCUs put out some of the top scholars in any field and any sector. Uh, and, and that's what we've got to be talking about to really go against uh, the American society that says the African-American community uh, is inadequate and inferior. And y'all are, are really going against that and defying those stereotypes. And we love and appreciate that support that you're showing us. And we're definitely going to uh, continue in that camaraderie. Devin, your last thoughts. No, I agree with everything you said. And, and, and Dr. French, again, I appreciate you coming on. And, and I really appreciate you telling us, um, just kind of just laying it out there, you know, just giving us the truth and your insights to what's going on and what needs to happen um, in our community and what we need to work on. And I really appreciate you giving us that insight there at the end about the leadership um, issues that were happening, you know, at a university like Howard, you would never think that it's such a well-known institution. And I didn't know when you told that story that that had happened like that, but it, it goes back to your message of, 
you know, how we need to work together. And then the fact that you, you know, are okay with mentioning that, yes, the Trump administration did do some things for us that we appreciate is is a, a big deal, too, because a lot of people get caught up in, well, I don't like this president, so I'm not going to try to work with them. And it's like at the end of the day, we need to try to advance the football forward, no matter who sits in the White House, no matter who's in Congress. It doesn't matter. We right. have to be able to get what we need for our community, no matter who's there, because if we don't do that, nobody else is going to do it for us. So right. we have to be the ones to do it. And so I appreciate you being willing to just say, like, look, yes, they did it. We appreciate their help. And we're looking forward to what Biden, um, the Biden administration is going to do for HBCU. So, again, I just appreciate that that clear cut message of this is what we need to do. Um, to advance. And so again, uh, viewers, this has been Dr. George T. French Jr., president of Clark Atlanta University, an amazing conversation that probably could have gone for three, four or five hours. Uh, but we know you don't have that much time here on a Sunday, but we do appreciate you joining the show. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll wrap the show up after that. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, viewers, welcome back. Uh, we're going to wrap this episode up, as always, with giving you some insight into what we've got going on for you. Um, you should have already been aware by now, but in case you haven't, the whole month of March is our HBCU Awareness Series to honor HBCU Awareness Month. Um Please go back and listen to all of our past episodes. They are great. They're awesome. They're highlighting great institutions that are pillars within our community. Whether you're wanting to listen to FAMU, Howard, Gramlin, Tuskegee, Fizz, Claflin, or Hampton, they're all really great within their own right. All have great insight, great nuggets. Um, so definitely go check us out. Um, whether you want to watch or listen, you know we've got them uh, uh, taken care of for you. And in addition to that, don't forget our weekly roundups. That's just our way to bring you the late breaking news of the week. Um, as always, we're going to be bringing that to you on Saturdays at 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Love it whenever people watch in. Let us know your comments as you're watching, too. We haven't been getting a lot of people to comment, but I wanted to highlight that because we want to be able to engage with our viewers and listeners. So let us know your thoughts. Um, as always, we like to mention that what we do is not free, uh, whether it be from paying Zoom, paying Podbean, uh, putting money behind advertisements. Uh, this is a part of a greater mission that does take dollars to fund that mission. So, uh, Devin, why don't you tell our uh, fans how they can help with that mission? Absolutely. So um, if you want to see more content like you see today uh, with with our interview with Dr. French, uh, we do and would we'll, we'll love some support from you all, um, of course. So the way you can do it is you can either go to um, our website, which is blackagendapod.com. There's a little donate button there. I um, mean, you can donate as little as a dollar. You can donate a thousand dollars. I know we all just got stimulus checks, so maybe... <laughs> Maybe we can, you know, use a little bit of that to give back. So, um, again, and that's blackagendapod.com. Um, give us a dollar. You can make it a monthly recurring thing. Um, just anything that you're willing to give us, we would absolutely love it and appreciate it and put it towards creating more content that you are looking for and want. And so, 
The other thing your support does and allows us to do is to recognize and partner uh, with other organizations. And so we are doing a charity of the month. We did one last month. And so for the month of March, our charity of the month is going to be the Thorogood Marshall College Fund, which is where we kind of came up with the idea of doing an HBCU awareness series because we know that they are doing things to recognize HBCUs during the month of March. And so um, just to give you a little bit of insight, uh, Thorogood Marshall's College Fund's uh, mission is to ensure student, student success by promoting educational excellence and also preparing the next generation of workforce talent through leadership development. So we know how important that is, that our HBCUs have, you know, stay on the cutting edge, but also that they have students who are ready to be on the cutting edge. So um, a great, great charity there. So if you can check them out. Um, the last thing is, of course, you can find us on social media. Uh, we're, all, we're on the three major platforms. So, Adrian, you can tell the folks where they can find this and share um, and, and follow us and everything. <laughs> yeah, we need that. Just like those dollars, we need you know more subscribers. We need more likes, follows, and shares. Uh, remember, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever you want to go to, all of those, you're going to be able to find great content from the Black Agenda podcast. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod, you know, real, real simple, just like our website, Black Agenda Pod. You go there. You can also find all of our audio podcasting as well as our weekly roundups. As Devin mentioned, there's a donate button. So definitely encourage you to go to our website because there's a lot of different things you can get from there. And as Devin was saying, make sure you share this. Like our stuff, follow our stuff, uh, whether it's a family member, a friend, a coworker. Uh, somebody that, you know, you don't even know that's a friend on your Facebook. They may even be you know in tune with what we're talking about. So any and everybody share it, share it, share it, because what we're doing, like I said, is a part of a, a larger uh, mission to transform our community. As always, we like to end our episodes with thanking our guests. So to Dr. French and Clark Atlanta University, really, really appreciate the dynamic uh, conversation uh, and the dynamic dedication that we see yet again from another HBCU institution in America. Um, Our viewers, our listeners, as always, we want to thank you for listening and watching. I can't wait to catch you on the next time, the next weekly roundup, the next uh, HBCU Awareness Series episode. So until then, stay safe, wear your mask, and we'll catch you next time.